looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. We're going to learn about letting the whole world know, but in a very special way. Where do we go from here? All right, I'm a blood-bought, born-again believer in Christ, and I'm to let the whole world know about Jesus Christ and faith alone. Where do we go from here? Well, so today I'm going to speak a lot about missionaries and being a missionary. Now, I also know that even though we probably have no unsaved guests that are here, some of you have come in with great burdens on your heart, and I really want you to know, as your shepherd, I care for you. I care for whatever you're struggling with, with family or friends or fitness or finances or whatever it might be. But at the same time, I hope you could understand, I also care for those that are struggling with the very same things, but the difference between you and them isn't the size of their scar of pain. It's the difference is that you know Christ as Savior, and eventually, when you die, you will spend eternity with him in heaven, sins forgiven, and have a relationship even with him now. Those people with the same problems with family and friends and fitness, I want you to know that they are going to be lost forever without Jesus Christ, and they don't even have an intimate relationship with Christ here and now. For, for the next few weeks... I hope that you'd allow me the opportunity to open up the window of God's word to remind us that no matter how bad it gets here, this is really our hell because it's going to be heaven for us if we know Christ. For the rest of those people, this is their heaven. This is the best they ever get. And then they go to hell. And that's perhaps why Jesus in his prayer, he's talking to God the Father. He says this, as you, Father, sent me into the world... So send I them into the world. Now the question is, is who would be the them he sent into the world? Well, obviously, he's not talking about those who don't know Christ as Savior. Another verse says that the blind can't lead the blind. So an unsaved person can't lead another unsaved person to Christ. Realistically, they can unless they just quote a Bible verse and someone else comes to know Christ. So it's really talking about the father hearing the words of his son saying, just as you have sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. Now back to you. Some of you, your world is so tight and boxed up right now with life that it's very hard for you to go into the world. You're already in the world. Some of you are very much involved in your job or career and you just can't go into all the world and express the message of faith alone and Christ alone. But for you, this is your world, really, Your job is your mission field. Those people are the people you're trying to reach. Now, I also know that ethically and perhaps morally, you can't get on a little soapbox and preach the gospel right next to your computer because you're not paid for that. And that not only would it be unwise, I believe personally be very ineffective. But nonetheless, though, the question I have for you is, what have you done this last week for heaven's sake on your job? It's very easy to be grabbed up into our job and we automatically think that, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a witness for the Lord. Well, you are if you're living your job with honesty, decency, and integrity. You show up, you do it with a smile, you know, you obey the authority. That is good. But in of itself, it's not enough. Now, let's flip it a little bit. Some people will do that, but they also get pretty vocal about the Lord. I love Jesus. And they get so excited about the Lord and they think that's a witness. Well, it is because there's joy in our heart. We're talking about God. But in reality, we can do all of that and they can hear all about Jesus and how much we love him. But they'll never hear that they are lost, they need a savior, and by faith alone, 
they can have eternal life, and they must trust Christ as Savior. So we've done a lot to kind of talk about the joy of Christianity, but we never explain the way of salvation to them. Now, here's another group of people. Some of you are the young people. I'd like you to listen for me, to me for just a moment. Right now, your mom and dad are modeling and mentoring you in good quality character traits. Secondly, they're providing for you an education so that you would be an outstanding, contributing citizen in this world as you grow up perhaps even prepare you for a substantial career, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Now, if your motive is to make money or to make a name for yourself, I think you need to revisit that. But I don't think that's really where they're taking you. But I would like to throw this out into the mix. While you're at a stage right now where you're learning all of this, you still have the whole future ahead of you. Have you thought about what career you might take? Have you ever sensed maybe that you would say, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? For heaven's sake. Now I know you can be a godly butcher, baker, candlestick maker. But have you ever thought about going into what we might call vocational, full-time Christian ministry? And if you even have an inkling towards that. Have you thought about how that you could be a step ahead of a lot of other people that are later in life called? That even now you do this? Let me share a personal thing with with you that's on my heart now. I, I can't say God spoke to me. I can say that Carol, being, Carol and I being gone for two weeks, we really had a lot of time to think. There's something going on in my heart that I would like to have a cadre of young people that would like for me to separate them from their friends for an hour or two a week, or maybe every other week, sometime, where I could build into them some things to prepare them for ministry even now, and for the future. And there's a lot of stuff you can teach kids. You know, good character, all of that. We got all the material. I've taught it all here. You know that. But I want to prepare them for the things that would equip them to be a leader in ministry. Now, they can take those principles and transition that into a what we might call a secular vocation. But I'd like to see, is there anyone that would like to even now learn some of these things early? Now, some of you might be saying, oh, I'm horrified that you'd be thinking about that. But if you will, play with me in my mind for a moment. If you ever watch NASCAR racing, Indianapolis 500 racing, you're going to see multiple generations of race car drivers alone that are now driving quarter of a million dollar machines that they'll wreck the week before only to get another quarter of a million dollar machine to race the next week. And you'd be able to do this even. They have to qualify. Now, how do they do that? Dad started them on little trikes racing and then perhaps a little go-kart racing, and then other little things up the line. And they had a step ahead of a lot of others, and that's why you have these great racing dynasties that are out there. And I'm just wondering if maybe in our church, we're small, we have no much or very little island presence here, don't have much money, but we do love the Lord, that maybe there's some group of people, guys and gals, I'm not just limiting it to the guys, that really would say, you know, I'm sensing God might want me to do ministry. Could I get a, a jump ahead? I don't have any plans. I'm not launching anything. I'm not raising no money for this. None of that. I just want you to know, in my heart, I'm thinking about that. So this week and the next week and a couple other weeks, I want to talk about missions. Now let me talk to another group. Those were the young people. Now the rest of you that are, are at a point in your life and you're now saying, I'm in a job, I'm in a career, and it's going nowhere. I'm unhappy. I know I'm providing for my family. I need to do that. But something else is out there. Something, not, something is going on in my heart. And I don't know if I want to do this the rest of my life. I think, I think maybe God's preparing me for ministry. There could be some of that. Now, I know that there are some Bible schools on the island, but 
frankly, if you want to know, I take issue with some of them on some other issues of their doctrine and other things. Wouldn't it be great if in our midst here, as small as we are, because little is much when God is in it, that we could take some of you that are saying, I can't leave my job, but I'd like to have a little bit more to prepare for ministry. And then one more. And that would be some of you that are not just dissatisfied with your job now, but those of you that are saying, I know I will have to transition out of my job. We're going to call you a second miler. We could call you the second half player. That you're saying, I finished this half of my life, but I now want to give the rest of my life. And I just know I want to do something for God as big as I can. I'm older, but maybe I'm a little wiser. I get tired a little bit, but I get more done in my fatigue than I did in my youth when I had to correct more mistakes than do the right thing the first time. And I want to be trained. I don't know, but these messages are designed for that. So today I'm going to try to answer from this passage and a few others. Simply, there's a lot out there, but simply... Where do I go from here in my life? So to begin with, I want to tell you about a place in London. Some of you might have been to London. Probably the highest trafficked area with the most people is Hyde Park. And at the corner of Hyde Park, there's a statue of the Duke of Wellington. And he's on his charger, which young people, that would be a horse named Copenhagen. And it's a statue there. And that was the horse that he rode to victory in against Napoleon on June 18, 1815. Now, as I remember this statue, I remember a particular question and the Duke of Wellington's most profound answer to it. Here was the question that he was asked. Is it worthwhile for the church to send out missionaries? Now, for some of you, you're thinking, now that is a strange question to ask this tremendous general or fighter. Is it worthwhile for the church to send out missionaries? Well, there's some history behind that question that would be very important for us to perhaps answer. What was going on in the world that would even cause a person to ask someone like the Duke that question? At that particular time in the late 1700s and the early 1800s, whether you were on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean in England, Great Britain, or whether you were here, while Christians knew about going to all the world and share the gospel, very few churches or groups of people really thought it was worthwhile for us to take someone and then send them into all the world. Their biggest argument on this side of the Atlantic, meaning the mainland USA, was this is a pioneer country. There are literally tens of thousands of Native Americans out there, Indians, that need to hear the gospel. We have so many people that need to know about Jesus Christ. Why would we ever want to send them to Timbuktu to do this? Now, that's not too hard because that same attitude spilled over from Great Britain because we just were so recently with Great Britain. And they, too, had a hard time sending out missionaries. If you recall, the father of modern missions was William Carey. He then goes to India. But he went with very, very little support except his profound confidence that if men would not support him, God would in obedience to the Great Commission to share the gospel. Following in his footsteps was another individual by the name of Adoniram Judson along with Luther Rice. Both of these men had very little support and they wanted to go to the country of Burma, which is now Myanmar, which is still a very struggling country with the gospel. And so he went there without much support. Halfway across the Atlantic Ocean, they were studying God's word and they found out that they went out believing that all you had to do is to be sprinkled and it was wrong because God's word said, as a believer in Christ, you need to be immersed they had to be true to the few that were supporting him. So what they ended up doing then was deciding who is to go back to the mainland 
to try to raise support because we now have to resign from the people, the board that was going to support us. So Luther Rice drew the short straw and went back because he didn't have a wife where Adam Judson did. Again, missions was so low-key. Then you fast forward that about two or three decades and you have the China Inland Mission. They were now beginning to want to spread the gospel to China. But the problem with that group was they would go to Shanghai because Shanghai had what they called somewhat of, a, of, a, of a, an American or an English settlement there. So they had walls around Shanghai where you did not then go out into the inland because it was such a closed country. And Hudson Taylor said, but the Bible says to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And it didn't say if the government permitted it. It said it because God says so and he's my government. And so through risk of life, health, and even funding, he went out never asking anyone for money, believing that where God guides, God provides, where God leads, God feeds. So he went out into China. Again, in a climate where people were not so wholehearted behind missions. And I'll throw one more. You had Hiram Bingham with his cadre of missionaries in the first wave that came to Hawaii. It was the American Board of Foreign Missions that came together because churches really weren't supporting missionaries. So they had to get a group of people together that kind of were a little bit further along in the mission sending. We call it missiology. And they said, we'll support you. We'll try to raise the money. And so now you had the first wave of missionaries that came here and then wave after wave after wave. But against the culture of churches who said, no, no, we got to do what we got to do right here. No need to go out. Stay right here and do that. Well, we know now differently that since the 1800s, there are so many more people that have gone out. But I pose a question to you. Is it possible that the church at large is now moving back into, we've got to reach our local people. They're struggling with marriages. They're struggling with finances. We've got to take care of this group here, and we're going to give a few bones and penances to others that are out there that want to go. If you really want to go, we'll do it. And I'm not speaking for every church. I'm just saying, is there a movement? What we do know are statistics because you can't, you can't go against hard facts. The hard facts are this. There are more missionaries that are retiring or dying than there are people today filling those missionaries' positions. Now, some of that's good, by the way, because like Hudson Taylor and others says, the best way for a national to come to faith in Christ is when another national reaches them for Christ. Are you tracking with me so far? But it takes those people to be able to train them to be able to do that. Now let me go back to that question. Remember Duke of Wellington was asked the question, is it worthwhile for the church to send out missionaries? That great soldier replied with this, what are your orders, sir? Now the reason I think that's so profound is because he talked about it as a military guy. What is your orders? In a sense, the Lord said the same thing. Is it worthwhile for the church to send out missionaries? The answer is absolutely, because what are our orders? And I put that here for you in this passage. It's our commission. It is not a suggestion. It isn't a hint from the Lord. It is a commission. It is something that each one of us that is listening to the sound of my voice that is hearing scripture, that you have to answer before the Lord, what are your orders, believer, in getting the gospel to the lost people in the world in which you live, whether it's all the way across the water or is it across the fence or the street. So what I've done here 
is I've given you four Gospels. Now, I know technically there's three Gospels, and then you have another one here, but there's four Gospels. The point I'm making here is that each one of these phrases was taken by the Gospel writer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, listening and observing the comment that Jesus made after he died, but before he went to heaven. So Jesus died, he completed his death and resurrection for the sin of the world, but before he went to heaven, he gave the church, you and me, one last little gig here, one last little reminder of what to do, one last commission. And he did it four different times. Let's look at it, all right? Matthew 28, 19, and 20, it says, Jesus speaking, All authority has been given me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, the phrase go, therefore, actually means as you're going, assuming that wherever you go, whether it's to the mall, to the marketplace, or to another part of the world, wherever God sends you, wherever you are, are uh, permitted or prescribed to go, wherever that might be, what you're to do while you're going there is to make disciples of all nations. Now, this is a huge phrase here because it says make disciples of all nations or all people groups. Now, let's go to the next one, Mark 16, 15. Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone everywhere. That's the New Living Translation. Luke then picked up the words of Jesus and recorded them this way. Then Jesus said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ, the Messiah, that's what it's saying, to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all people groups, all nations. Where do you begin? Right where you are. So that'll preach right there, right where you are, right in your neighborhood, right in your job, right in your school, right in your club, right in your committee, wherever you are, you're Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Then and finally our passage John twenty twenty one. so Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And it might be good for you to remember, Jesus said this, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. So if we're to mimic Christ, then we have come to this point in our walk with God to seek those who don't know Christ as Savior and communicate the gospel to them. Now, let me, one more time, speak to you in a general fashion. More specifically, consider doing missions, consider becoming a pastor, whatever. Now, in a general fashion, I would like you to think of this way. Some of you cannot go into all the world. Carol and I went to Myanmar, we've been to Indonesia, or I've been to Indonesia, been other places in the world. That's because people had the money to send me and permitted me to go to those places. I'm not great, that just happened, that's God's sovereignty in my life. But for you now, you might not have the money nor the means nor the time to go do that. But isn't it remarkable that some of you do have an opportunity? It's not a guilt statement. It's not a manipulation. It's a truth statement. Some of you have been given by a prescription of the Lord or permission to go on vacation. So you get out of your little world and your little community here on Oahu and you go somewhere. Some of you have some whatever reason allowed to go to a job that has sent you for a short term somewhere else. At that brief moment, that is almighty God. Listen, that is almighty God that is allowing you through the funding of someone else to take you off this island somewhere because you are a Christian to bloom where you're planted somewhere else. So when you go, you might be thinking it's because the chief butcher, baker, candlestick maker is sending you. In reality, you might think it's to do your job. And it is, and you want to do it well as unto the Lord. But at the same time, is it though an opportunity for you, whether it's on the plane or another conveyance, to communicate the gospel clearly. So look at it as a divine, wonderful, golden, God-given opportunity for you to be taken to another part of the world to do that. 
You know, as I went through these passages, it's interesting how that three times it talks about Jesus saying that he was sent. And three different times it talks about we being sent. So how much of this is together is so profound that just like Jesus, we're to be doing the same thing. So today, in the limited amount of time I have, I'm going to attempt to answer three questions. Where do I go? Why do I go? And how do I go? Well, let's look again at John 17, verse 18, Jesus speaking. Where do I go? He says, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. So the answer is simple. I am to go into all the world. All right. I have two young people here, and some of you hope you appreciate the fact that we try to have our young people engage in our messages here so they can be a part of it. So I'd like to have Fernando and Elizabeth come at this time, if you will, and they're going to help me uh, with a map. Let's come quickly, young people, if you'll do that. I have them have a a map, and this is on a piece of cloth, and they're going to kind of snap it out here, hold it up high, where everybody can see it, maybe one more step down there. You can hold it up so they can see it. Because I'd like to now talk a little bit about the word world when it says that we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He says, as I was sent into the world. In John 17 alone, there's three different worlds that are either mentioned, described, or at least inferred. And I wanted you to see the three of them because they all fit together in global evangelism. The first one is called the created world. And look, if you will, at John 17, verse 5 and 13, and I'll read it to you. It says, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they also may have joy, my joy, fulfilled in themselves. All right, the second is going to be the evil world system. Verse 14 through 16 says this, Jesus again speaking, I have given them your word, Father, And the world, the evil system, has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. That's a very important statement. But that you should keep them from the evil one implied in the world. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. All right, we're going to talk about the world system here for just a moment. In America, the world system is a system that's an evil world system. The very best that it does in our system is it will tolerate Christians as long as Christians are not trying to share the gospel. As soon as we begin to share the simple plan of salvation because we desperately don't want people to, to, to spend eternity separated from the Lord, they immediately caricature this by the word proselytize. You're proselytizing. It's in your faith. And you're making your new. And they get all on top of us. So now it's been a movement from tolerance to intolerance to downright hatred to do whatever they possibly can to make a joke out of Christianity while at the same time allowing others and promoting their own glorified position of their own belief system. This is this evil world system that we are a part of. It is wicked. It's going to continually get, here it is, worse and worse according to the passage of Scripture in 1 Timothy. So it is going to get worse and worse in this world system. So we're to go into the planet and we're to go into this ugly world system that God has out there that we need to penetrate with righteousness and truth by our lifestyle and by our spoken word. The third world is a simple world of humanity. That's the lost humanity. It says, as you sent me, Jesus, into the world, I also have sent them into the world or into the world of humanity. This morning, because I wanted to have the numbers as fresh as I possibly could, I went to a website that would be the world population uh, totals. 
It came out of Berkeley, California. And at 9 a.m., 9.55 a.m. this morning, would you like to know how many people, according to them, are spinning on our globe? We had 6 billion... 845,979,106. Now I'm going to tell you, you have on this little clock on the internet, you could then stop it and then you can hit the resume. So you can stop it so you can write the numbers down. Then you hit the resume because then it speeds up and it catches up with all the births and the deaths and all of that coming up with the total. So again, 6,845,976,000. I said that to say this. Since 10 o'clock until the time it is right now, we've now gone from 6,845,000, excuse me, 6,845,000,000 to 6,846,000,000. And you can only imagine that tonight when you go back to your computer and you go to that world clock and you find out how much people are now being procreated and the world is populating, our humanity is getting huge. More and more people are being born and more and more Christians need to be sharing their faith. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. We'll be right back. 